You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Well, good morning. You know, the first thing that I want to do this morning is, is thank you. And I really mean thank you for being a church that loves to celebrate changed lives. I mean, where can you go where there's that much fun, uh, that much joy, that much passion for the Lord's salvation and those that are being water baptized right here? You guys did an amazing job just receiving those that are really taking new and wonderful steps in following Jesus Christ. So I want to thank you personally for doing that. I mean, we had water baptisms with those that were uh, seven years old all the way up till their mid-80s. It was an amazing, an amazing experience for, for us, wasn't it? It was incredible. Um, you know, there was one water baptism that you may have missed, and it was, it was wonderful. It was so wonderful. About, about eight weeks ago, a young man walked up to me in church, and he, he informed me, he said, this is my first time in church. And I said, this church? And he goes, no, my first time ever in any church is today. And I said, you know, I want to talk to you. And, uh, and uh, I turned around to do something else, and he was gone. Maybe I scared him away, I don't know. Uh, but he showed up on Easter. He came to Easter, and we met after the church service. And I said to him, I said to him, I've been looking for you. And he broke down right there, and he received Jesus as his Lord and Savior sitting on that front row. Wasn't that amazing? And, uh, and then I asked him this. I said, well, what do you think you need to do, do next? And he said something like, I, I need to jump in that tub right there. And I said, yeah, let's do it. And so he had his street clothes on. He took off his shoes, and he jumped into the baptismal, and we baptized our friend Jason. So that was pretty cool stuff. Uh, that, that's so amazing. And... Uh, there are others in this room right now who have committed their life just recently to Jesus Christ. And so let me encourage you to continue to follow him. Uh, he will never let you down. And this is what we're praying for. We're praying many more are coming. And so we want to be ready in our own hearts. How do we do this? This is amazing because God has entrusted you uh, with their spiritual development. God has trusted you with their spiritual care. What a privilege. What an amazing privilege and a responsibility. And so we have a responsibility. And you might be asking yourself, well, what can I do with this responsibility? Let me, let me do this. Let me tell you just a few things. Number one, love. Just continue to love those that are around you. Love those around you like Jesus. You know Jesus loves you. The second thing, lean in. Just keep leaning in. Uh, find out what's going on in people's lives. Just be part of others' lives that, that are on this journey, finding Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And then the other thing we do is we listen. And, and i got to just stop there for a moment and say how important listening is to those that are looking for Christ, for those that are looking for Jesus. If we take time and we listen, good things happen. And did you know this? I, I think you probably figured this out, but new believers change the spiritual chemistry of your church. You know that, don't you? And they do it in a very good way. Sometimes I think I need new believers in my life more than they need me in their life. Uh, because there's something that happens that God just honors and loves and enjoys, gets excited about, and we can too. So continue to listen to what the Holy Spirit is up to, to those that are standing right in front of you. Whether it's a family member, it's a friend, it might be a stranger, someone at work. Listen to God's Holy Spirit and ask those questions. Lord, what are you up to in their life? 
And then what we do is we come alongside of whatever the Holy Spirit is up to. Here's where I made my mistakes. I talk too much. That's where I made my mistakes. I, I talk so much that I'm not listening to what the Holy Spirit is doing in the person's life that he's entrusted and, and, and to me and, and to, in a relationship, forgetting that the Holy Spirit does a much better job at speaking to the human heart than I do. Can you say amen to that? Yeah, let's don't interrupt the work of the Holy Spirit there. And the way we do that is we say, Lord, I'm going to listen. I, I really want to listen to what you're about, what you're doing. And I think in some ways, I know this is true for me, in some ways I've unintentionally removed him, the Holy Spirit, from the process of salvation. Why? Because I talk too much and I listen too little. I want to tell people, you know, and sometimes that's a canned response. You know, we have those, and I'm not, I'm not slighting anything here, but a four spiritual law. Say, here, take this, read this, come back to me when you have questions. This isn't what people's hearts are interested in. They want to know somebody knows them. They want to know that somebody cares, and we have the responsibility of communicating that. So I want to make sure that I talk less and listen more. Can you say amen to that? It isn't a, a scripted thing. It isn't a one-size-fits-all. And the way I've been praying recently is this way. I've been saying, Lord, I, I know that you're already at work in this person's life. I, I know you're already working. I can see it. Would you help me come alongside of you? Because you know what's best. I, I don't know what's best. You know what's best for that person's life. Can I help there? Lord, can I help there by just listening? So love, lean in and listen. And so I think it's a good idea that we pray for those that were baptized just recently, those that have come to faith recently, and for those many that are coming to faith right now in Jesus' name. So I want you to stand with me. We made it a practice here recently. Annette, why don't you come up with me? And we're going to pray together. How many know that the scripture says that one puts a thousand to flight, two put ten thousand to flight? And so we're going to do that. We practice that. Uh, if you have someone next to you that you like and you want to hold their hand, you can do that. Uh, I happen to like her a lot, so I hold her hand a lot. So that's what we do. Father, we just believe in your word right now. We just thank you for those that were baptized, those that received you as their Lord and Savior. We're just so thankful for that, Lord. And we just ask that you would give us a Holy Spirit sensitivity to what you're doing in the lives of those that are right in front of us. Lord, let us not presume. Let us, let, let us not just take the place of your Holy Spirit's work in their life, but Father, let us be sensitive to what you're doing and that we can speak words of life as you have spoken to us. We are grateful today. Lord, we pray for salvation. We pray that that will continue in lives, the lives of so many in Jesus' name. And we all say together, amen. Thanks, Annette. You may be seated. Thank you. And we really thanks for practicing uh, really what you preach. And during the course of this, uh, this next few hours as you leave, uh, feel free to go to the prayer walls. Uh, I think I've been in, her, in here almost every single day uh, praying for your prayer requests. So praying over those that you're praying for and just asking the Lord to do a good work in their lives. So on the way out, if there's something weighing your heart down, if there's someone you're praying for, please, please write their name down and put it in the prayer wall and we will continue to, uh, we'll continue to join you and stand with you in prayer. Well, I think it was about 15, uh, well, no, it was, I was 15 years old, so it was about 50 years ago, 50 years ago that I, I, I caught my biggest fish ever. I mean, it was a monster of a fish, and some of you are rolling your eyeballs right now, aren't you? That's what fishing stories do to us. They cause us to roll our eyeballs. But 
This is no kidding. I'm not a fisherman, wasn't a fisherman. The fisherman in our family uh, is my grandpa. And so when I was 15 years old, we were at a camp. We were right by a, a, a river. And I was hiking around. And I looked down and I saw a huge fish in the river. I had no fishing pole. I had no net. But I thought there was a way. I, I want to catch this fish. Now, I was 15. I didn't really understand all the laws at the time. Uh, fishermen, please forgive me. But I jumped into the water and I herded that big old steelhead right over to a little pond and I pushed him up on the shore and I caught a fish. It was a massive fish. My grandpa happened to be camping out with us and I took that fish. I've never seen my grandpa look so surprised in all of his life. My grandpa's very stoic. He doesn't show his emotions. And my brothers are running out ahead of me and they're yelling, Grandpa, he caught the biggest fish. And you know, he's nodding, yeah, sure. I turned the corner, I had this monster fish in my arms, and he dropped everything that was in his hands. He just went, whoa. And I was so pleased that the non-fisherman impressed the fisherman, you know. But I know what happens. I know what happens with a lot of, of fish stories is every, we hear them, we tell them, and they just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I guarantee you this fish did not start out that big. It actually started out that big. But you tell those fish stories, and we do that. We tell fish stories, we roll our eyes, but there are some fish stories that when you hear them, you know they are honest fish stories. And today we're going to read about one of those honest fish stories. It's in John chapter 21, the Gospel of John chapter 21. What we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit, really, for the next two or three weeks out of this passage of Scripture, because I, I, I really feel like I, I don't want to run through this. I, I really want to look at... What happened in John chapter 21? Because there is a, an amazing fish story. While this is about fishing, it's really more about the people who are fishing. Uh, again, it's found in John 21, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 9 together. This is post-resurrection. So Jesus is already raised from the dead, and, and a few of the disciples decide to go fishing. There was Peter, there was Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of thunder, of course, Peter, uh, James, James and John, and two other disciples who go unnamed. We don't know the reason why they just are unnamed. And there are seven all together. They gather on the Sea of Galilee. And I want you to listen to what happens in this wonderful fish story. It says this beginning at verse 1. It says, Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, sons of thunder, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out fish to fish, Simon Peter said. Uh, we'll, we'll go with you, the others said. So they went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And early in the morning, uh, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, then throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some fish. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net into the shore because of the large number of fish. And, and then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, uh, about a hundred yards. 
And when they landed, they saw fire burning coals there with fish on it and, and some bread. Isn't that a beautiful story? That's a great fishing story. I mean, when I read this story, I think, man, I wish my net could be that full when I go fishing. But this is the third time that Jesus showed himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. There's nothing that is more interesting to me than when I look at the writings of John. Uh, John always seems to focus on some details that we might miss. If we don't pay attention, there are details here in this story. Because right before this story, in John chapter 20 at the very end, there's something that happens here. John seems to, in that passage at the very end, seems to be signing off. He, he seems to be uh, uh, checking the boxes to see what he's already said. He wants to finish the gospel. It seems that that's what he's doing. And he does it in a very appropriate way, kind of a benediction. See if you agree with me. This is what it says. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe, there it is, John's theme, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Doesn't that sound like a good closing statement? Yeah, it really does, but it's not. Because John isn't done yet. He gives us a whole other chapter, 25 more verses, three more paragraphs. It, it sounds like a lot of preachers I know when they say they're going to close and they really don't. They don't know how to land that preaching plane. They just keep going and going and going. And I'd sit there and roll my eyes and think, are you really going to stop? You said you were going to close 20 minutes ago. That's just me, folks. And I hope you never experience that here with me. But, but this is what happens. I mean, why do we have this? Why do we have this kind of closing? And then we have uh, another chapter. It seems like a perfect way to end. Well, I want to give you two reasons why I think John continues to write chapter 21. And there are some lessons there I know for me that are so important. The first lesson and the first reason for John 21 is uh, very personal. It's personal to me, and it's uh, certainly personal to John. It's because John loved Peter. John has spent three and a half years with Peter. Peter was a good friend. He was his buddy. And his buddy had denied Jesus three times. And being the person John is who gets close to the trouble, gets close to the heart of things, he knows that his friend is broken. He, he knows that his friend is downcast. And so John tells us in chapter 21 how Jesus how Jesus put back together the broken pieces of Peter's heart and how Jesus brought Peter back to useful ministry, that he wasn't all washed up, that it wasn't over, that he wasn't finished. And so John goes on and he tells us why and how Peter was not finished. If this has ever happened to you, I think you might identify where you've heard voices around you saying you're all washed up. You're all finished. You should just move on. You should just get it over with. You should just move on. You should hang it up. Listen, those aren't the voices that call you. Those aren't the voices that ever speak life into you. And what we do is we dismiss those voices to hear one voice, and that is the voice of Jesus Christ who called you. And the one who called you will always be faithful to you. Remember that. He will be faithful to the very end. He has a call on your life. And I want you to hear this. He has a call on your life, and he has been the one that has established you, that has lifted you up, that has carried you, and will continue to carry you until the day of Jesus Christ. I remember the very first time that I was so hurt and so broken 
because I felt washed up. Someone that I really respected told me that I was just a, well, they used a word I had never heard before. They used the word, you're a prima donna. Now, I know what it means now, and now I'm really mad. I mean, once I figured out what it meant, I thought, wow, then I didn't know what it meant. But I knew he, was, he wasn't happy with me, and I was working and serving under him. He was a leader in the body of Christ. He said that, uh, that I needed to, to get to the place that they were setting up chairs. I was a servant. I wanted to do that. He said, come in the morning. Well, I showed up. What are you going to do at 19? Morning means 11 o'clock. It doesn't mean 7 o'clock. To him, it meant 7. To me, it meant 11. And he was upset. And he called me that name. And I, uh, I about broke. I about broke right in front of him. I went into my room. I laid down on the bed. And I said, Lord, I just, I'm done. I really, I really messed up. And the Lord just said this to me. He said, get up right now. Stand on your feet and listen to the one who called you. He didn't call you. I called you. You see, we all need moments in life where we hear that reassuring voice of God's spirit. I want you to hear this. He saved you. He is the one that saved you. No one else. You were baptized. He is the one that led you into water baptism. He's done that for you. Remember, it's his voice that we pay attention to, and you are not washed up. It's the only voice that you need to pay attention to. I'm so glad that, that Jesus didn't quit on Peter. I'm so glad that Jesus didn't quit on me. And I'm so glad Jesus hasn't quit on you. Just not what he does. He does not quit on us. You see, if John 21 is absent, then Acts chapters 1 through 12 don't make any sense to us. Because who is the central figure in the book of Acts at the beginning? It's Peter. Peter is leading the church. Peter is preaching. Peter is giving direction. He is doing all this. And if we don't have this, we don't know even if Peter was restored. But because of this chapter, we do know absolutely that he was restored. He was restored to lead the body of Christ in its early, most earliest days. Thank you, Jesus. And if we don't have John 21, we really don't have a bridge to the book of Acts. By the way, that's where we're going to go next. We're going to go to the book of Acts starting after Mother's Day. We're going to take time and we're going to see where John 21 is actually leading us. And that, that's a beautiful thing when we take time and we say, Lord, what are you up to? Now, I mentioned that there were two reasons for chapter 21. Uh, the first reason we know it was personal. We, we know that, that we see the restoration of Peter. But the second reason is that John wants us to know how to relate to a resurrected Lord. And a soon returning Lord. See, he wants us to know that the dynamic has changed now. It's like the disciples don't really know what to do. Uh, they don't know what to do with themselves. They don't know really even how to engage with others. And, and if you're a new believer, you might feel the same way. You might feel exactly like that. Now what? I mean, I just had the experience of my life. I just uh, accepted Jesus. I was baptized in water. I mean, where do we go now? What do we do now? This is what the disciples are doing. They're, they're actually kind of wandering around, wondering, thinking about what, what's next. See, after Jesus died and rose again, for the next 40 days, Jesus pops in and out of their lives. I mean, this is the third appearance. There are others, but he just pops in and out. You never knew. You didn't know if he was going to show up, if you were fishing, or if you are going to be eating. You just didn't know. He's, he, his comings and goings were really unpredictable. You might be out on an early morning walk, and Jesus starts to engage a conversation with you like he did 
with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Saying, hey, what are you guys talking about? Can I get in on the conversation? You might be like the disciples were in an upper room and Jesus comes in and he says, peace be with you. I know you're afraid, but, but peace be with you. You might even be having this heated conversation about how real Jesus is. And he comes into the room and he says, hey, feel the nail holes in my hand. Feel me and know me and understand and believe. You might, you might experience Jesus just like they did in those random moments. Now, what's happening here is Jesus is doing a good work because he's preparing you. And now this time that Jesus shows up, he's standing on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and he's giving fishing instructions. That's what he's doing. He's stepping in and giving you instructions, giving those disciples instructions. Can you imagine living that way? I mean, always having to be on the alert. Jesus might show up here. He might show up where. Where is he going to show up next? And do you know what? You do live that way, and you should live that way because he's coming again. Jesus wants us to be alert, to be ready, to be prepared. Someone asked me one time, what would you do differently if you knew Jesus was coming tomorrow? My answer was pretty simple. I hope nothing. I hope I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing when Jesus comes because the Bible says we do not know when he is going to return. Jesus explicitly said that to his disciples when they were asking him in the first chapter of Acts. When are you coming back? He says, only the Father knows that. Just be ready. Just be ready. I might just pop in on you. I'm going to come. And so today, even now, 2,000 years later, our hearts need to be ready. And we would do what the early church did. We would say, Maranatha. Maranatha means come soon. Come soon, O Lord. We are preparing our hearts for you to come soon. You see, this is what we do. The truth is, he had risen, and he's risen, Lord, he's going to come again. He will return. The Bible says, watch for your Lord comes at an hour that you do not know. In chapter 21, it gives us two principles that answer the question, what do I do now? Now, I know there are more than two, but I have time to talk to you about two this morning. Two principles that I think are important that we pay attention to. What do we do while we're waiting for Jesus to come? There are two of them. We need to be with one another, is one, and we need to work together. We need, need to work with each other. So you have those two that are so fundamental as you read the book of Acts. Now, let's look at the first one. Number one, we need one another. We, we need to be together. Look at what verse 2 says. You, you find them together. It, it's a pattern that actually continues for the rest of their days on this planet. They continually were meeting together. Acts is full of this refrain, repeated over and over again. And they were together. And they were communing together. And they were eating together. And they were working together. See, Jesus wants to make a point here. He wants you to know that this life is not designed for you to live alone. This isn't about a solo flight. This is about doing something with the people around you who believe in Jesus. We walk together. Isn't it interesting? When we have people problems in life, how do you think Jesus solves those people problems? With people. That's how he does it. I know sometimes it's infuriating, isn't it? I mean, sometimes it's just like, ah, you know, I just need a little space. I need to get away. But le let me say this. He wants us to be together. The book of Acts highlights that. Acts chapter 1, verse 4 says, and being assembled together. What made Easter so wonderful for us? We were assembled together. 
you decided, and thank you for doing so, you decided you were going to show up. You said, you know, the first decision I got to make is I got to show up. I got to be in the presence of others. I've got to be in the presence of God's spirit. I need to be there. I need to show up. That is the value of showing up. There are things that you get when you're together that you don't get when you're alone. I know this. When I'm not together with you, I'm incomplete. Do I have a good devotional life? I think so. Do I, do I engage with people in my home and have good conversations in our house and with others that I know? I, I, I think I do. But what I need is you. That's really what makes this more complete. That's what makes Easter a celebration. Because we come together. We worship. We hear the word of the Lord. We see people come to faith in Jesus. We see people baptized. We see miracles that happen. Now, I want to say something to you really quick here, that when we have the prayer times up here, don't take those for granted. When you see people that are up here that want to pray and they want to pray for you and you have something that you need them to pray with you about, do not hesitate to go there. And I'm going to tell you why. You're going to see more miracles there than you're going to see probably anywhere else in the course of your week because these people are committed. We are committed to pray for each other. You see, when we come together, we pray for each other. But to do that, you have to show up. You see, the phrase that they were gathered together appears again over and over in the New Testament. Have you noticed, um, and I think you all have, you probably noticed this, you might have even experienced this, but this profound sense of disconnect in our society today. A profound sense of disconnect that are driving people to do things that they wouldn't do otherwise. And a lot of those things are just horrible. They're hideous things. Because there's this disconnect. And, and, and the, reason, the reason why is each of us, all of us, have been created with a deep, deep desire to belong. You've been wired that way. You cannot escape it. You can't run from it. You can't. You have been made by your master have a desire to belong that's what propels us into relationships that's what propels us into places that we need to be with jesus christ so i'm going to say this to you if you don't have that desire pray for that desire pray for a desire to belong and have that desire filled by jesus christ god has designed us to be integrated with each other not isolated from each other but integrated with each other. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 10 says. It says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, right here. Not giving up, meeting with each other together as some are in a habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching, Maranatha, Maranatha, come quickly, Jesus, come. We gather together, we hear the voices of others that encourage us. And there are some there are some, I know this is true because I've experienced this. There are some that you really have to drag to church. You know, maybe you're that someone. Uh, no guilt, no shame, no judgment. Uh, because if I wasn't pastoring, I might be that person as well. Just letting you in right now. And then there are some people you can't drag out of church. I'm married to one. You cannot drag her out of church. You can't. She's a church girl. And you know where she'd be sitting if she wasn't your pastor's wife? Right there. Right there in the front row. She's a front row person, not just here. She's a front row person wherever we go. I'm a back row person. It's really humorous that I have to sit on the front row every single weekend because this is what I do. But, but wherever we go, we've learned to compromise over the years. 
So, you know, I say, you go find the seats. We get into a, a meeting, and she is so nice to me. She doesn't sit in the front, but she doesn't sit in the back. She sits in the middle, and I like that. So there's a compromise, but that's the way sometimes we, we are wired, but we, we want to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. We need to, in our heart and our spirit, be front row seaters. We need to be people who say, you know, Lord, I want to be in the front row with you. I want to be there. I want to be there. Annette has taught me so much. She's taught me how to, how to love you. She's taught me how to love the church because, honestly, sometimes I love you, but sometimes it's just hard to like people, you know? <laughs> It really is. It is, especially when they might not like you. You still got to like them. She helps me. She really helps me do that. She is a gift to you. She's a gift to me. She's a gift to our community. And when I see people like that, I say, oh, man, I wished I, wished I was like that, man. You, sometimes you got to drag me in. Even on Sunday morning, sometimes you got to drag me in. But I'm glad. I'm so thankful. Lord, I want to be sitting on the front row in my heart, my spirit to follow you. We need each other. Then the second principle is this, we need to work together. That's really what verses 3 through 6 are all about. Verse 3, Peter leads a fishing expedition. Uh, they were fishermen. Uh, don't, don't forget that. They're fishermen. They, 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 uh, they wanted to be there. They wanted to fish. And I want to dispel something that I've heard taught in the past uh, as to the reason they, they've gone fishing here. Uh, a lot of teachings have said, well, they've gone fishing because they've, they've given up on God's call that they're just throwing in the towel, they're going back fishing, they're, they're just really not, they're not in, they're backsliding. I've heard people say, well, they're gone fishing because they're, they're backsliding. No, they weren't. They were being obedient. They went to Galilee because Jesus told them to go to Galilee and wait. He says, go to the Galilee and wait. I'll catch up with you. I'll be there. I'll be with you soon. And so in Galilee, by the water, what do you think a fisherman is going to do? I mean, really, putting water next to a fisherman is like putting a bunch of candy in front of a kid. I mean, it's, it's really true. I mean, I, my grandfather was this way. I know some guys that are here this morning that this is, man, they are fishermen. I know, I really do, I know a lot of fishermen. They don't just go fishing. Fishing is in their blood. Maybe you're married to one, and you're going, oh, yeah, I know how that goes. My goodness. Telling a fisherman not to fish is like telling a zebra to get rid of their stripes. It doesn't work. And so these are fishermen, and they see, they, see a, they see a body of water, and what do they do? Hey, we need to go fishing. Very practical as well. Very practical. They needed to eat. They needed to feed their families. They needed to pay taxes. And they needed to wait for Jesus to show up. So what are they doing? <laughs> They're waiting actively. Now, all of us have this choice to make. We can wait passively or we can wait actively until the Lord returns. We work together with Jesus as the Lord of the harvest. Isn't that a great invitation? You have been invited into the greatest venture on the planet. Did you know that you have stake and stock in the kingdom? You do. Because you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You're following him. You have this great opportunity to join up with the Lord of the harvest to see others come to faith in Jesus Christ. That is fun. That is exciting to be part of that. I don't think there's a greater testimony than loving and working together. You know, our working glorifies Jesus. That's what the Bible says. Matthew 5, 16 says, Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. 
Now, there's something else that's interesting to me, that Jesus is on the, the shore, and they don't recognize him. And, and, um, and this, this happened so many times post-resurrection. People didn't recognize Jesus after he'd raised from the dead. So how much is this like us? I mean, I was reading this story, and I was thinking, man, I, I think I might be like this, where I don't recognize Jesus when he shows up. Yeah, I'm working hard. I'm doing my best. I'm being obedient. I'm really, I'm really pressing into the Lord. And then everything goes south on me. Maybe you've experienced that. Everything goes bad. The roof, I mean, really, it feels like the roof is caving in on your life. I mean, there's struggles, there's heartaches, there's sickness, there's pain. And you're saying to the Lord, Lord, I've been obedient. I've followed you. And then all of this happens. And where are you? You see, that's the question I think we ask most when we're in trouble. <laughs> is, Lord, where are you? Where are you? I need your help. All the while, he is right there. He is right there. You might not be able to see him. You might not be able to perceive he's right there that close to you. Why? Because when we go through difficult times, don't you find that your eyes get a little cloudy with the circumstances you're in? Don't you find out that your perspective is short-sighted and not long? Long-sighted? When, when we're in trouble, when we're going through a difficult time, it's very difficult. And here these disciples were probably dealing with still a measure of, I don't, I know he's around, but it's not like it used to be. You know, we used to be able to find him whenever we wanted to. But now, now we don't, now we can't. But he's there, he's there. And I'm going to say this, if, if, if the roof has caved in on you recently, would you ask that your eyes can see him? that your eyes would see him in the detail of your life and his handiwork. And would you remember the promise that he's made to you? I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I think there are some that probably need to hear that and take that to heart this morning. He will never leave you. He will never, ever forsake you. That's the promise that he's given you. Now, notice something. Notice the exchange between Jesus and those in the boat fishing. I I love this exchange because if you, if you just go right by it, there, there's a subtlety to this with an important message in it. It says this, he called out to them, that's Jesus, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. And he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some fish. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number, the large number of fish. Why did Jesus even ask that question? Do you think he was clueless? No. I mean, why would he ask a question that he already has the answer to? Well, he's asked the question so they would admit their failure and recognize their need. That's what he does with you. You see, <laughs> the sooner you confess your failure, the quicker your need will probably be met. But how stubborn am I? How prideful am I? that I don't want to confess that, that I don't want you to know that about me. I don't want you to see my weaknesses or my faults. But what's happening here, you know the hardest thing for a fisherman to say? Can I say, the hardest thing for a fisherman to say, and they hate to say it, did you catch any fish? No! That's a hard thing. Now, maybe your question's a little different, but it's going to get to the heart of the matter because Jesus always goes to the heart of the matter. He's going to go right there. You see, my failure, I haven't caught any fish. My need, I need to catch something. To admit failure is to recognize need. That you have need. That I have need. 
God has already worked the, the, that way with, with us. God always works that way with us. Have you found out God asks these questions that get to the heart of things? He's done that from the beginning of time. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned and you could hear the, the, the voice in the garden says, Adam, where are you? Hey, he wasn't clueless then either. He knew exactly where he was. Adam, where are you? Because I need you to confess your failure so I can help you meet the need. Would you do that? And of course, we go through all kinds of spiritual gymnastics not to do that. And, and we see that. We see the same question being asked of Elijah the prophet when he was running from Jezebel. What in the world, Elijah, are you doing here? How did you get here? And then you come to this place. You, you see the same thing happening. Same thing happened with blind man sitting out at the gates of Jericho. What is it I can do for you? Did you know in the Gospels, Jesus asked over 100 different questions? That's a key for us. See, when we listen to the Holy Spirit, we're going to ask really, really good questions that really get to the heart of the issue. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying in John chapter 21, have you caught any fish? To a fisherman, again, that's deeply personal. That is. I'm not even a fisherman, and I don't like to answer that question if I didn't catch anything. You know the diversion tactics we use? Hey, did you catch any fish today? No, but it was a beautiful day. I could have had a beautiful day somewhere else. Did you catch any fish today? No, but the scenery, oh, it was wonderful being out on the river. Just quiet. Now, you liar. <laughs> you, know? you wanted to catch fish, and you didn't catch any. And it just hits us. It hits us because the answers are hard to come by at times. The answer for everything is Jesus Christ. Did you know that he responds to our failures? That he doesn't put us off? But the truth is, failure is, a, is good for us. Do you know why failure is good for you? And you're going to think, oh man, really? Yeah, failure is good for us because if you're always successful, you are just a pain to be around. Nobody really wants to be around you. They don't want to hear you talking and bragging about all the things you do well. We got asked a lot about, oh, five or six years ago from a good friend of mine who was a district supervisor in Washington and, and beyond. And he said, Ron and Ned, I want you guys to come. And there are going to be a lot of young pastors and their families there. And we want you to share with them. We, they're going to love to hang out with you. And can you show up? And we said, yeah, we can be there. He says, under one condition. What's that? He says, I don't want you to talk one moment about your successes. I, all I want you to do is tell them about your failures. Man, it dampened my heart a little bit. You mean not even one? Nope. I just want you to talk about your failures. I think the reason that's so true is failure is what causes us to actually slow down, to pause, to think about your motives. Failure is a great teacher if you'll only listen to its lessons. Really. When we recognize it's Jesus who stands in the middle of our failure, redeeming, making good those failures, you are ultimately and always a winner. You don't lose when you turn those failures over to him. Something else here. Did you notice the one who recognized Jesus? I like this guy. John, he's the one. Remember, quicker of faith? He's catching on. He's seeing quicker. He sees this. He sees the Lord, and he says, that's the Lord. And everyone jumps in and follows him after the Lord. They were in this struggle. They were having a difficult time. They catch fish. And everything makes sense now that Jesus is there. 
Don't exclude Jesus from whatever that struggle is, whatever that hardship is. Put him in the center. And remember our mantra around here, keep the main thing the main thing, and that's Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. Bow your heads with me if you would just for a moment. Again, I'm so thankful that you showed up today and we were able to talk a little bit about what God is doing, what he's doing in all of our lives, how he's working. And we're, um, we're here today because of him. And if there are any of you listening to this message and you don't know Jesus, you might be online, you might be present in the building, you might be hearing this a few days later. The Bible says that you come to him, you confess your sins. He is faithful and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness. I think sometimes the reason we hold back from even doing that is because it sounds so easy. It's simple to do. It's harder to walk that walk, but you've been invited to that walk. You've been invited to that call of following Jesus. So if you're here this morning in this place and you haven't done that yet, please feel free to, to go to some of our prayer teams. Feel free to come to me. Feel free to go to someone around you and just say, I need to confess Jesus as my Savior. And I'll tell you what will happen. Your sins will be forgiven you. And you're going to have a, a, a load lifted from your life that you've never experienced before. Will your troubles go away? Maybe not. But will you be able to face your trouble with hope? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. That's the way Jesus lives. Father, we want to thank you today for the good work that you're doing in our lives. Thank you for this community. Thank you for all that you're up to. In Jesus' name we pray and we say amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.